Hello, and thank you for joining us here today. Uh, this is going to be kind of the first in a couple Christmas-themed podcasts that we're going to have, uh, episodes that we're going to have. So uh, thank you for joining us here today. Let's go ahead and let's jump into it. So there is a particular motif in literature that goes something like this. Um, an old man or an old woman is sitting in a retirement home or a tavern. In the books I like to read, you know, taverns there a lot. Uh, or a park bench or just some other place. And they're approached by a younger character who by some means persuades the older character to launch into a story of their life. And the story then might be filled with challenges and hardship and life-threatening danger, but there's one thing that the reader knows for certain. We know that no matter how bad things get in the story, the one who is telling it survives the ordeal. Ultimately, the end is known. Or maybe you're not a book person. Maybe you're more of a movie person. I remember as a kid watching the Indiana Jones movies, and uh, you know, by the time I was watching them, the, the first three were already out. And I got to the end of the first movie as a kid watching it, and I'm thinking to myself, oh man, there's no way that Indy's going to get out of this one. But then I remembered that they had in fact made two more Indiana Jones movies, and that Indy did in fact get out of this one, and that despite the danger involved, he was going to get out alive. So, as I sit, you know, writing this, surrounded by Christmas decorations, listening to Christmas music, um, I can't help but think that the story of Christmas is very much a similar situation. It's the story of a moment in human history, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Spirit of God in the body of a human. And today I want to focus on an often overlooked aspect of the birth of Jesus and consider what it means to our lives today. So let's get started. Let's read a passage. This is going to be from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia, and Trachonitis and Licinius, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, and during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth and all people will see God's salvation. Now, if you think about it, our celebration of Christmas is intimately tied to the passage of time. As children, we count the days until the arrival of Santa. In our homes, we have Advent calendars, 
In our churches, we have Advent wreaths that are meant to provide orderly and, uh, you know, this this organized way of, of computing the approaching Christmas day. In our worship, we talk about it as a season of waiting and preparation. Even in the passage of scripture we just read, it, there's so many markers of time that are given in, in recalling who was ruling what area at this point of time. You know, it starts out with in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Why all this attention to time? I suspect it has to do with the understanding that the coming of Christ marks a shift in the narrative of humanity that is really hard to overstate. Before coming uh, to earth, uh, before Christ came to earth, we were all dead in our sin, separated from our Creator God, lost in spiritual darkness. After Christ, sin and death are defeated. We are reconciled to God, and the kingdom of God is established on earth. This is our reason for celebration at Christmas, as we well know. This is all true, and yet this is not the entire picture. There is a beautiful revelation of Scripture that makes the hope of Christmas utterly complete, that allows us to better understand just what the angels found so glorious when they sang to the shepherds, that reveals the depths of God's great love towards us. The revelation is this. Christmas is not just something that God did for us because we needed a Savior at a single point of time. It was, in fact, his plan from the very beginning. And that is what we're going to talk about today. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Did you catch what I'm talking about in there? The mission and purpose of Jesus was chosen, as the passage says, before the creation of the world. Sometimes with all this talk of sequential time, we, we can come away with the idea that Jesus was an emergency response to sin. That he was the plan B when humanity failed to be perfect. It supposes that God was somehow uh, and to some degree surprised or caught off guard by the actions of his created humanity, that he had to send Jesus to earth because he was out of options for reconciling us. And this shows our linear understanding of things, you know, linear understanding time as a straight line, one event happening after the next in sequential orders. And of course, for us, that, that's reality. Uh, so we see the story like this. 
Humanity is created by God. Humanity sins and is separated by God, from God. Humanity fails to restore itself to God on the basis of following God's law. God sends Jesus to be born to earth. Jesus dies on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and then rose again so that we may have life in him. I could go on, but I think you get the point. We see the story of God's actions as a series of events in time. God made us to understand these things this way as human beings. It was his design that we should. God, on the other hand, you know, some of the things we know about him, we learn um, when we're young, coming up in the church, that God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. That's what we call that. He's also at all places in time. He's omnipresent. And when we say that he is all places, omnipresent, we don't just mean that he is everywhere as we would understand everywhere. That is, I'm all over planet Earth somehow. For him, it's beyond that. It's not just place, but time. And the two are, are, can hardly be separated. He is everywhere. He's also omnipotent, all-powerful. There's nothing outside of his capacity. When we say that God knows everything, we mean everything. He has complete and perfect knowledge of all that was and all that is to come. He knows what happens at the end of humanity's story because he is quite literally already there. As Christians, we accept this as part of our orthodox theology, but let's consider the implications to our Christmas story. Because Christmas then isn't just an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It was, in truth, a decision made by God before the creation of the world. The Bible says in John 17, 24, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before time, before matter, before space, before existence as we know it, there was love. Jesus explains here that there was love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that went before creation. So what do we know about love? Well, we have it from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We know love is patient and kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account the wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. This verse describes what and who God is. God is love. Right from the beginning and beyond, before there was anything else, there was God and God's love. And our passage that we just read here, we know that love by its very design does not seek its own. That is, it is not self-focused, but it needs another to love. And this love is willing to bear all things, believe all things, 
and endure all things for another. And that is the pure love of God. So while this love existed within and between the Godhead, by its very nature, this love was also thinking of another. It was thinking of others not yet created. That it would be willing to bear all things and endure all things for this other. I'm sure you know that it's, uh, you, you know this, but, but if not, let's have a look at a, another mention of the phrase before the creation of the world. So this, this now is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us uh, in him before the creation of the world to become holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So here's another amazing passage. It is understandable that there would be love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit even before the foundation of the earth. But this passage tells us that God was also thinking back then of all those that he would even bring into being before they came into being. The wonder of this passage tells us that even before anything came into being at all, God, through his pleasure and will, loved us, loved us before we existed, chose us, to be holy and blameless sons and daughters in his sight before there was anything. God, it seems right from day zero or day negative something, was looking forward to the time when there would be many in his family. Here's another one from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, by the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed at these last times for your sake. So not only were we believers chosen before the foundation of the earth, but also was Jesus. We were chosen to be his, holy, blameless in his sight. He was chosen to be the one who could make that happen. I'm not sure about you, but I, I think we got the better end of this deal. Can you remember what we said about love just a few minutes ago? That it bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Before the foundation of the earth, Jesus, in perfect, unadulterated love, was willing to become the Lamb of God that would offer himself so that we could go free and all planned and agreed to before time, space, matter, let alone you and I. That's why Revelation speaks of him as being the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth in Revelation 13.8. Jesus is not an ambulance sent to the site of a car wreck. He was the lamb slain. From the foundation of the earth. There's a final verse that uses a similar phrase to describe something that happened before time existed. 
we've seen so far uh, that before time, before the creation of the world, there was love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then that love was also extended to us who would believe before we existed. We were in his thoughts, chosen to be holy and blameless before him. Finally, we saw that the cost was something that God thought out. He embraced it. To fully show humanity his love, Jesus would have to demonstrate it by dying in our place. And with this in mind, Scripture tells us about an ancient promise that is recalled in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God does not lie, promised to us before the beginning of time. A promise was made before there was even time. A promise before there was anyone around except God. It was a promise made from the Father to the Son, and it involved eternal life. The promise was that if the Son would become the Lamb of God, the Father would grant eternal life to all who place their trust in Him. And God, who cannot lie, promised this before the beginning of time. So this Christmas, I want you to remember that the coming of Jesus was not an emergency fix for a broken world. It was not the last-ditch effort. It was the plan all along. God knew what it would take to create humanity and then keep humanity in relationship with himself, and he decided it was all worth it before he created a thing. I want you to remember this when your life feels pointless and meaningless and directionless. Remember this when things seem dark and hopeless. Remember this when you are going through a period of hurt or loss. Christmas reminds us that not only can God restore and repair and reconcile all things, we can take heart in the knowledge that in truth he already has. This is the comfort to every believer even in these difficult days. There is a kingdom and a king coming that has been planned since the beginning and beyond. And of that day, Jesus says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's from Matthew 25, 34. What a day and what a plan. Forged in the love of God and the willing sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And even for today, God has a plan for you. It is our joy to discover what it is and then walk in it.